So what if I told you every phone call you make is helping to fund progressive causes and politicians like Planned Parenthood and Hillary Clinton? You'd probably stop making phone calls, right? Well, the fact is your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your belief. So what's a patriot like you to do? Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and text, competitive prices, and donates up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. Mention promo code Steve at checkout and receive $35 in free activation fees for up to two lines. Call 1-800-PATRIOT or go to patriotmobile.com. Mention promo code Steve. To witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. We are underway here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We'd love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's how you can email the show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Gentlemen, soon we will be going to the stage for the third and final presidential debate which just got underway, we might as well see it through to the bitter end. I want to, though, get everybody on the record for what they think their expectations will be for tonight so that when it ends in 90 minutes, we can go back and take a look at what we expected beforehand and then how things actually turned out. So, Todd, I'll start with you. Expectations for this evening? I have none. Uh and I, I'm not trying to even be glib. I, I, I don't see this through any sort of prognosticator's uh, lens anymore. It is, I expect to be the exact same Rorschach test that is now just stamped, you know, like Cain wandering the earth. We've just been stamped with this. It is what it is. Here we go. I, right now, I, I would like to be like that dude in, in Kung Fu, walking the earth. I would like to just walk the earth. David Carradine? Yes. I'm, I, I'm, I'm right now walking the earth to get as far away from this election as possible seems almost therapeutic. Aaron, what do you Okay, ex- we've turned you into like a Buddhist or something. <laughs> yes, grasshopper. <laughs> Aaron, uh, what do you anticipate? What's your expectations uh, for tonight? I fully expect Hillary Clinton to play prevent defense all night. I think anybody could see that coming. Uh, and I fully expect Donald Trump to go scorched earth and bring up, uh, is it Malik Obama? Uh, Obama's can, you, can someone draw me, the, brother? draw me the composite of the voter who sits at home and says, you know, I really wasn't, I was undecided in this election, but, <laughs> but Obama's half brother from Kenya is here supporting Trump. And I, you know, I, that, that really persuaded me. I, I, that, that, that caused me to make up my mind. Can you guys draw me a composite, a composite for such a voter? 300 some odd million people in America. Certainly there will be one. Can you come up with one, Todd? It's a movement, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> So you're expecting some prevent defense tonight? Yeah, prevent defense, and then for Trump, just scorched earth. Uh, but other than that, I'm like Dodd, no expectations. I mean, it's the third debate, and this thing's already in the bag for Clinton. So what the heck? My prediction is, given how, given his legendary level of sanctimony, 
there will be more complaining about Chris Wallace as the moderator than we've had for even for any of the other debates. I mean, there are times Chris Wallace makes Martha was it Raditz. Is that her name? Makes yep. Martha Raditz look like Walter Cronkite. Okay, so my prediction will be nearly universal condemnation for Chris Wallace by the time this debate is over. See, I haven't I haven't watched anything related to Chris Wallace for such a long time that I'm kind of straining to remember uh, his insufferableness. But I'm glad I get to experience it tonight. So let's go to the stage. Important that we uphold because of the fact that it is under such uh, trauma. Uh, I feel that the uh, justices that I am going to appoint, and I've named 20 of them, the justices that I'm going to appoint will be pro-life. They will have a conservative bent. Uh, they will be protecting the Second Amendment. They are great scholars in all cases, and they're people of tremendous respect. Uh, they will interpret the Constitution the way the founders wanted it interpreted. And I believe that's very, very important. I don't think we should have justices appointed that decide what they want to hear. It's all about the Constitution of, of and, and so important, the Constitution the way it was meant to be. And those are the people that I will appoint. Mr. Right. Trump, thank you. Pause for a second. Is that the first time the Constitution's been referenced in any of these debates? No, uh, Hillary Clinton just did it two minutes ago. Oh, so before we went live to yeah. her? Okay. So on this radio show, when we've aired audio of these debates, was that the first time we've heard the word Constitution? I, yep. I can't recall. Uh, the, of the debates we've aired audio of, this is the first and you, mention and, of the Constitution. And you said Hillary actually brought, brought it up first? That's what I saw on Twitter, so uh, I don't have uh, audio confirmation. Of course, but. then when he adds the addendum the way it was meant to be, he might think that means free groping. We don't know. Ouch. Let's go back to the debate. It is reasonably limited. Those were the words of the, uh, of the judge, Antonin Scalia, who wrote the decision. What's wrong with that? Well, first of all, I support the Second Amendment. I lived in Arkansas for 18 wonderful years. I represented upstate New York. I understand and respect the tradition of gun ownership. It goes back to the founding of our country. Uh, But I also believe that there can be and must be reasonable regulation. Um, Because I support the Second Amendment doesn't mean that I want people who shouldn't have guns to be able to threaten you, kill you or members of your family. And so when I think about what we need to do, we have 33,000 people a year who die from guns. I think we need comprehensive background checks, need to close the online loophole, close the uh, gun show loophole. There's other matters that I think are sensible, that are the kind of reforms that would make a difference, that are not in any way conflicting with the Second Amendment. You mentioned the Heller decision, and what I was saying uh, that you referenced, Chris, was that I disagreed with the way the court applied the Second Amendment in that case, because what the District of Columbia was trying to do was to protect toddlers from guns. And so they wanted people with guns to safely store them. And the court didn't accept that reasonable regulation, but they've accepted many others. So I see no conflict between saving people's lives and 
defending the Second Amendment. Let me bring the, Mr. Trump the, in the here. The sociopathic shamelessness yes. by, which Hillary, by which Hillary said, and I quote, I support the Second Amendment. It was like if she had closed that, if the next line was, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> I would have completely believed that was Anthony Hopkins up there. Gentlemen, your thoughts? Uh, agreed. I mean, it is a sight to behold. I mean, just cold-blooded. Cold, yeah, just the cold-blooded. Not nation. a twitch. No, I mean, I mean, there, if she, she would have passed the polygraph right mm-hmm. there, guys. I mean, that was just ice it, water in her veins, Todd, with that. Yeah, and the opponent should have a field day with that. Should we see what happens? Well, she's still talking, so uh, let's find out. Extremely upset, extremely angry, and people that believe in the Second Amendment and believe in it very strongly were very upset with what she had to say. Well, let me, let me bring in Secretary Clinton. Were you extremely upset? Well, I was upset because, unfortunately, dozens of toddlers uh, injure themselves, even kill people with guns, because, unfortunately, not everyone who um, has loaded guns in their homes takes appropriate precautions. But there's no doubt that I respect the Second Amendment, that I also believe there's an individual right to bear arms. That is not in conflict with sensible common sense regulation. And, you know, look, I understand that Donald's been uh, strongly supported by the NRA. The gun lobby's on his side. They're running millions of dollars of ads against me. And I regret that because what I would like to see is for people to come together and say, of course, we're going to protect and defend the Second Amendment, but we're going to do it in a way that tries to save some of these 33,000 lives that we lose every year. Let me bring Mr. Trump back into that because in fact, you oppose any limits on assault weapons, any limits on high-capacity magazines. You support a national right-to-carry law. Why, sir? Well, let me just tell you, before we go any further, in Chicago, which has the toughest gun laws in the United States, probably you could say by far, they have more gun violence than any other city. So we have the toughest laws, and you have tremendous gun violence. I am a very strong supporter of the Second Amendment, and I am, I don't know if Hillary was saying it in a sarcastic manner, but I'm very proud to have the endorsement of the NRA, and it's the earliest endorsement they've ever given to anybody who ran for president. So I'm very honored by all of that. Uh, We are going to appoint justices. This is the best way to help the Second Amendment. We are going to appoint justices that will feel very strongly about the Second Amendment, that will not do damage to the Second Amendment. Well, that was one of the most sane answers, or maybe I should say least insane answers I think I've heard Trump give all uh, all of these debates. I mean, he uh, he said what he needed to say, but I mean, abortion. That was good. Mr. Trump, you're pro-life, but I, I want to ask you specifically, do you want the court, including the justices that you will name, to overturn Roe v. Wade, which includes, in fact states, a woman's right to abortion? Well, if that would happen, because I am pro-life and I will be appointing pro-life judges, I would think that that will go back to the individual states. But I'm asking you specifically, would you if like If they to... overturned it, it'll go back to the states. But what I'm asking you, sir, is do you want to see the court overturn? You just said you want to see the court protect the Second Amendment. Do you want to see the court overturn Roe Well, v. if Wade? we put another two or perhaps three justices on, that's really what's going to be... Ha- that will happen. And that'll happen automatically, in my All opinion. All right, we'll go back to Vegas for the third and blessedly final presidential debate next. Listening to Steve Dace. 
are listening to Steve Day. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review, covering the final presidential debate tonight. Interesting. Listening to or following along on social media, uh, Hillary and Trump have been debating abortion, actually, since uh, since we went to commercial. Uh, Tim Carney at the Washington Examiner um, said that uh, he gives Trump props for describing late-term abortion as the atrocity it is. Ben Shapiro at the Daily Wired said that he thought Trump gave the single weakest defense of pro-life positions on partial birth abortion that he's ever heard. My assessment listening to this, and I'm going to let you guys comment here. My assessment was I, I thought I, I, I thought the dichotomy on this debate was interesting. I thought Trump's answers came across as dry, as clinical, but I thought they were correct. I thought Hillary's answers came across as passionate, empathetic, but wrong. Your view, Todd? Yeah, I think that's somewhere in the ballpark. I think that mostly speaks to Donald Trump. He he clearly does not have the fire in the belly on this. I was actually a little uh, pleasantly surprised on his his description on uh, the ninth month of abortion and folk, uh, but that's the 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 standard is so low i ex- like i said i expected nothing from him this is an opportunity to completely change hearts and minds this is an opportunity to just kill red herring after red after herring after red herring and you are right donald trump did okay but his job on these in his own mind is to get in get out and that's more or less what's happening. What was your read on that, Aaron? I would agree uh, with that assessment. Uh, as I noted before we went to ba- break uh, last segment that I thought his answer, I mean, it was elementary, low, bar is low for Donald Trump, but his answer on um, uh, quote-unquote gun control uh, or gun violence, whatever it, it was framed as, I thought that was pretty good. And then I also agree with you, Todd, that um, the way he characterized uh, late-term abortion, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult subject. But I listened to his answer during the break. He called it what it was, and he said, um, pr- paraphrasing, but pretty close to what he said, um, you know, you're uh, ripping the baby out of the womb up until the last day, and calling it a baby, not a fetus, calling the procedure what, for what it is. And then he pivoted and said, now you can say that's all right, and Hillary can say that's all right, but that's not all right. So I thought that I was pleasantly surprised, as Todd said. Let's go back to Vegas for the presidential debate. They work hard. They do everything they can to give her a good life. And you're right. I don't want to rip families apart. I don't want to be sending parents away from children. I don't want to see the deportation force that Donald has talked about in action in our country. We have 11 million undocumented people. They have 4 million American citizen children, 15 million people. He said as recently as a few weeks ago in Phoenix that every undocumented person would be subject to deportation. Now, here's what that means. It means you would have to have a massive law enforcement presence where law enforcement officers would be going school to school, home to home, business to business, rounding up people who are are undocumented. And we would then have to put them on trains, on buses to get them out of our country. I think that is an idea that is not in keeping with who we are as a nation. I think it's an idea that would rip our country apart. 
I have been for border security for years. I voted for border security in the United States Senate. And my comprehensive immigration reform so plan, of course, includes border security. <laughs> but I want to put our resources where I think they're most needed, getting rid of any violent person, anybody who should be deported, we should deport them. When it comes to the wall that Donald talks about building, he went to Mexico. He had a meeting with the Mexican president. He didn't better, even raise cho- it. He he better choke her with Kate Steinle after this. He better choke her with it. We're not paying for that wall. So I think we are both a nation of immigrants and we are By a nation of By the way, latest polling on deportations has about 18% support. Thank it, you, it's, Donald it, Trump. It started about 50, as a 50-50 issue when this campaign began. It's at 18% right now. I think it's... Don't tell me how you message doesn't make a difference. Messaging matters. Very nice man. Uh, We will be doing very much better with Mexico on trade deals, believe me. Uh, The NAFTA deal signed by her husband is one of the worst deals ever made of any kind, signed by anybody. It's a disaster. Hillary Clinton wanted the wall. Hillary Clinton fought for the wall in 2006 or thereabouts. Now... She never gets anything done, so naturally the wall wasn't built. But Hillary Clinton wanted the wall. Well, let me. We no, are wait, a country sir, me, of laws. We me, either me, have. And, and by the way, I, no wait. I'd like to hear from. Well, well, but I'd like to hear from. Sec, I'd like to hear from Secretary Clinton. I voted for border security, and there are and uh, the some, there are some limited places where that was appropriate. There also is necessarily going to be new technology and how best to deploy that. Uh, but. It is clear when you look at what Donald has been proposing, he started his campaign bashing immigrants, calling Mexican immigrants rapists and criminals and drug dealers, uh, that he has a very different view about what we should do to deal with immigrants. Now, what I am also arguing is that bringing undocumented immigrants out from the shadows, putting them into the formal economy will be good because then employers can't exploit them and undercut Americans' wages. And Donald knows a lot about this. He used undocumented labor to build the Trump Tower. He underpaid undocumented workers. And when they complained, he basically said what a lot of employers do. You complain, I'll get you deported. I want to get everybody out of the shadows, get the economy working, and not let employers like Donald exploit undocumented workers, which hurts them, but also hurts American workers. Mr. Trump. President Obama has moved millions of people out. Nobody knows about it. Nobody talks about it. But under Obama, millions of people have been moved out of this country. They've been deported. She doesn't want to say that, but that's what's happened. And that's what's happened big league. Uh, As far as moving these people out and moving, we either have a country or we don't. We're a country of laws. We either have a border or we don't. Now, you can come back in and you can become a citizen. But it's very unfair. We have millions of people that did it the right way. They're online. They're waiting. We're going to speed up the process bigly because it's very inefficient. But they're online and they're waiting to become citizens. Very unfair that somebody runs across the border, becomes a citizen. Under her plan, you have open borders. You would have a disaster on trade and you will have a disaster with your open borders. But what she doesn't say is that President Obama has deported millions and millions of people just the way it is. Secretary Clinton, I want to... We we will not have open borders. That that is a a rank mischaracterization. This is an interesting interesting dialogue because on one hand, Trump says Obama's deported millions of people, then on the other hand says we have open borders. 
I mean, I don't know how Hillary Clinton doesn't just why doesn't why didn't she just come right back there and say, how do we have open borders if we've deported millions of people? What are you talking about? The reality is both sides of this issue are opinions are so cemented now. I don't think either side, regardless of what they say in this debate, wins or loses a single point on this. I, I think. I, I, meaning, I don't think there's too many undecided people sitting around thinking, well, you know, uh, Trump's tough on immigration, so I'll change my position. Or Hillary saw. I think if I think if you were voting on that issue, I think your mind's already made up. Agreed. I mean, those numbers you just cited a few minutes ago, uh, 15 percent, was it? 18. 18 percent yeah. want um, deportations of illegal aliens. Yes. Mass deportations, not just deportations of of people who have committed other crimes after they committed the crime of coming here in the first place. More of the debate in Vegas in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. All right, while we were gone, the topic has turned to Putin and Russia. You missed this during the break. Hillary baited Trump, uh, and he took the bait on this hook, line, and sinker. Let's see if that is continuing. You condemn their interference. Of course I condemn. Of course I can. I don't know Putin. I have I'm no not, idea. Asking, asking I never you, met yeah. Putin. This is not my best friend. But if the United States got along with Russia, wouldn't be so bad. Let me tell you, Putin has outsmarted her and Obama at every single step of the way, whether it's Syria, you name it, missiles. Take a look at the startup that they signed. The Russians have said, according to many, many reports, I can't believe they allowed us to do this. They create warheads and we can't. The Russians can't believe it. She has been outsmarted by Putin. And all you have to do is look at the Middle East. They've taken over. We've spent six trillion dollars. They've taken over the Middle East. She has been outsmarted and outplayed worse than anybody I've ever seen in any government whatsoever. We're a long way away from immigration, but I'm going to let you finish this topic. You got about 45 seconds. And she always will be. I I find it uh, ironic that he's raising nuclear uh, weapons. This is a person who has been very cavalier, even casual, about the use of nuclear weapons. He's Wrong. advocated more countries getting them, Japan, Korea, even Saudi Arabia. He said, well, if we have them, why don't we use them, which I think is uh, terrifying. But here's the deal. The bottom line on nuclear weapons is that when the president gives the order, it must be followed. There's about four minutes between the order being given and the people responsible for launching nuclear weapons to do so. And that's why 10 people who have had that awesome responsibility have come out and in an unprecedented way said they would not trust Donald Trump with the nuclear codes or to have his finger on the nuclear button. I have 200 generals and admirals, 21 endorsing me, 21 Congressional Medal of Honor recipients, As far as Japan and other countries, we are being ripped off by everybody in the world. We're defending other countries. We are spending a fortune doing it. They have the bargain of the century. All I said is we have to renegotiate these agreements because our country cannot afford to defend Saudi Arabia, Japan, Germany, South Korea, and many other places. We cannot continue to afford. She took that as saying nuclear weapons. 
Look, she's been proven to be a liar on so many different ways. This is just another lie. Well, I'm just quoting you uh, when there's no quote. You're not going to find a quote from me. Nuclear nuclear competition in Asia. You said, you know, go ahead. Enjoy yourselves, folks. That kind and defend of yourselves. That, well, and defend United yourselves. States I didn't say nuclear. And defend yourself. The United States has kept the peace through our alliances. Donald wants to tear up our alliances. I think it makes the world safer, and frankly, it makes the United States safer. I would work with our allies in Asia, in Europe, in the Middle East, and elsewhere. That's the only way we're going to be we're able gonna, to no, keep we're gonna, peace. We are going to move on to the next topic which is the economy, and I hope we handle that as well as we did immigration. Uh, you also have very different ideas about how to get the economy growing faster. Secretary Clinton, in your plan, government plays a big role. Uh, you see more government spending, more entitlements, more tax credits, more tax penalties. Uh, Mr. Trump, you want to get government out with lower taxes and less regulation. Yes. We're going to drill down into this a little bit more. But in, in this overview, please explain to me why you believe that your plan will create more jobs and growth for this country and your opponent's plan will not. In this round, you go for a Secretary Clinton. Well, I think when the middle class thrives, America thrives. And so my plan is based on growing the economy, giving middle class families many more opportunities. Uh, I want us to have the biggest jobs program since World War II, jobs in infrastructure and advanced manufacturing. I think we can compete with high-wage countries, and I believe we should. New jobs and clean energy, not only to fight climate change, which is a serious problem, but to create new opportunities and new businesses. I want us to do more to help small business. That's where two-thirds of the new jobs are going to come from. I want us to raise the national minimum wage because people who live in poverty should not, uh, who work full-time should not still be in poverty. And I sure do want to make sure women get equal pay for the work we do. I feel strongly that we have to have an education system that starts with preschool and goes through college. That's why I want more technical education in high schools and in community colleges, real apprenticeships to prepare young people for the jobs of the future. I want to make college debt-free and for families making less than $125,000. You will not get a tuition bill from a public college or university if the plan that I worked on with Bernie Sanders uh, is enacted. And we're going to work hard to make sure that it is because we are going to go where the money is. Most of the gains in the last years since the Great Recession have gone to the very top. So we are going to have the wealthy pay their fair share. We're going to have corporations uh, make a contribution greater than they are now to our country. That is a plan that has been analyzed by independent experts, which said that it could produce 10 million new jobs. By contrast, Donald's plan has been uh, analyzed to uh, conclude it might lose uh, three and a half million jobs. Why? Because his whole plan is to cut taxes, to give the biggest tax breaks ever to the wealthy and to corporations, adding $20 trillion to our debt and causing the kind of dislocation that we have seen before, because it truly will be trickle-down economics on steroids. So the plan I have, I think, will actually produce greater opportunities. All right, so now we have all the same economic arguments we've had for the last 30 years, pretty much, in every single debate, <laughs> in all the same terms. More from Vegas, the final presidential debate, in a moment. You're 
listening to Steve Dace. For a written transcript of this show, start writing really fast. Right now, Steve Dace. All right, I think we were supposed to have a debate on the economy the last few minutes, right? So, Mike Wallace, who so far is defying my prediction, actually, uh, and is doing a decent job keeping the discussion on the issues. But Hillary Clinton gives, goes first, gives us the same answers we've been hearing from Democrats. Investment, trickle-down economics is bad. I mean, we've heard this all my life, right? It's, it's just, you know, at, at no point do these people sing a new song. For some odd reason, only Allah knows. Trump chose to respond by going on and on and on about our allies. They don't pay us enough money, and these are all bad. I, I, I don't. Insulting NATO, I, I, taking credit for something that's. I, I, and then at the end, he talks about he throws in, oh, and we have one percent GDP growth. We can't, that, why wasn't that the beginning of his answer? Yeah, that's where the answer should have began, and it and it, and and everything else should have that you think right. should have emanated so, from that origin. Yeah. So instead of sounding like the titan of business, he's the way he starts out. It's he sounds like the guy in the street corner opens up his trench coat and he's got a bunch of like watches for sale. That's what he sounds like. like he knows the angle, the the, the sweet business deal. Uh, Donald, I don't know. Oh, I think he kind of sounds like the the guy, the kid you know from high school who you owe like four dollars, and it's like, yeah, I want my money back here. Yeah, I just. Let's just go back to the debate. That is not going to work. That's why what I have put forward doesn't add a penny to the debt, but it is the kind of approach oh, that lies. will enable more people to take those if, new jobs. If you believe jobs, a Hillary presidency jobs, won't add a penny to the debt, then you also believe monkeys fly out of my butt. A long string me, of increasing jobs. We've got to do more to get the whole economy moving, and that's what I believe I will be able to do. Mr. Trump, even conservative economists who have looked at your plan say that the numbers don't add up, that your idea, and you've talked about 25 million jobs created, 4% over a 10-year period growth, is unrealistic. Uh, and they say, you talk a lot about growing the energy industry, they say with oil prices as low as they are right now, that's unrealistic as well. Your response? So I just left some high representatives of India. They're growing at 8%. Uh, China is growing at 7%, and that for them is a catastrophically no low number. We are growing. Our last report came out, and it's right around the 1% level, and I think it's going down. Last week, as you know, at the end of last week, they came out with an anemic jobs report, a terrible jobs report. In fact, I said, is that the last jobs report before the election? Because if it is, I should win easily. It was so bad. The report was so bad. Look, our country is stagnant. We've lost our jobs. We've lost our businesses. We're not making things anymore, relatively speaking. Our product is pouring in from China, pouring in from Vietnam, That's pouring the, in from all the over the world. the truest thing he's ever said, Steve. I've visited so Based many on that you know, track record, he should have won easily. But he's indicting himself. Then why aren't you? Because you've just been ridiculous. 
And they cry when they see what's happened. I passed factories that were thriving 20, 25 years ago. And because of the bill that her husband signed and she blessed 100 percent, it is just horrible what's happened to these people in these communities. Now, she can say that her husband did well, but boy, did they suffer as NAFTA kicked in because it didn't really kick in very much, but it kicked in after they left. Boy, did they suffer. That was one of the worst things that's ever been signed by our country. Now she wants to sign Trans-Pacific Partnership, and she wants it. She lied when she said she didn't call it the gold standard in one of the debates. She totally lied. She did call it the gold standard, and they actually fact-checked, and they said I was right. I was so I, I, I want to give you a chance to, to briefly speak to that, and then I want to pivot to one-sixth of the will economy, be as bad as which is Obamacare. But go ahead, well, briefly. First, let me, let me say, number one, uh, when I saw the uh, final agreement, for TPP. I said I was against it. It didn't meet my tests. I've had the same tests. Does it create jobs, raise incomes, and further our national security? I'm against it now. I'll be against it after the election. I'll be against it when I'm president. There's only one of us on this stage who's actually shipped jobs to Mexico because that's Donald. He's shipped jobs to 12 countries, including Mexico. But he mentioned China. And, you know, one of the biggest problems we have with China is the illegal dumping of steel and aluminum into our markets. I have fought against that. As a senator, I've stood up against it as Secretary of State. Donald has bought Chinese steel and aluminum. In fact, the Trump Hotel right here in Las Vegas was made with Chinese steel. So he goes around with crocodile tears about how terrible it is. But he has given That's jobs to Chinese steel workers, not American steel workers. Mr. Trump? That's the kind well, of approach well, say, that is just, just not going to work. It We're just... going to pull the country together. We're going to have trade agreements that we enforce. That's why I'm going to have a trade prosecutor for the first time in history. And we're going to enforce those agreements. And we're going to look for businesses uh, to help Clinton. us by buying American products. Ahead, I Mr. ask Trump. a simple question. She's been doing this for 30 years. Why the hell didn't you do it over the last 15, 20 years? You, you were know, very voted- much involved. Excuse me. My turn. You were very much involved in every aspect of this country. Very much. And you do have experience. I say the one thing you have over me is experience, but it's bad experience because what you've done has turned out badly. For 30 years, you've been in a position to help. And if you say that I use steel or I use something else, I make it impossible for me to do that. I wouldn't mind. The problem is you talk, but you don't get anything done, Hillary. You don't. Just like when you ran the State Department, $6 billion was missing. How do you miss $6 billion? You ran the State Department, $6 billion was either stolen, they don't know, it's gone, $6 billion. If you become president, this country is going to be in some mess, believe me. Well, first of all, what he just said about the State Department is not only untrue, it's been debunked numerous times. Uh, but. I think it's really an important issue. He raised the 30 years of experience. So let me just talk briefly about that. You know, back in the 1970s, I worked for the Children's Defense Fund, and I was taking on uh, discrimination against African-American kids in schools. He was getting sued by the Justice Department for racial discrimination in his apartment buildings. In the 1980s, I was working to reform the schools in Arkansas. He was borrowing $14 million from his father to start his businesses. In the 1990s, I went to Beijing, and I said, women's rights are human rights. He insulted a former Miss Universe, Alicia Machado, called her an eating machine. And on the day when I was in the Situation Room monitoring the raid that brought (laughs) Osama bin Laden to justice, he was hosting The Celebrity Apprentice. It's almost over. 
it's all most over. You're listening to Steve Dace. From a good calm. If it's true and you still don't like it, that's a you problem. You're listening to Steve Dace. Let's go back to the debate stage. Catch a few more minutes here from Vegas before we close out hour number one. I heard Donald talking about what he uh, did to women. And after that, a number of women have come forward uh, saying that's exactly what he did to them. Now, what was his response? Well, he held a number of big rallies where he said that he could not possibly have done uh, those things to those women because they were not attractive enough for I, I did uh, them not say to be that. assaulted. I did not say that. In fact, he went on but, to say... Her two, her two minutes, sir, her two minutes. But he, did he, not it, say that. It's her two minutes. He, he went on to say, uh, look at her. I don't think so. About another woman, he said, that wouldn't be my first choice. He attacked the woman reporter writing the story, called her disgusting, as he has called a number of women uh, during this campaign. Donald thinks belittling women makes him bigger. He goes after their dignity, their self-worth, and I don't think there is a woman anywhere who doesn't know what that feels like. So we now know what Donald thinks and what he says and how he acts toward women. That's who Donald is. I think it's really up to all of us to demonstrate who we are and who our country is and to stand up and be very clear about what we expect from our next president, how we want to bring our country together, where we don't want to have the kind of pitting of people one against the other, where instead we celebrate our diversity, we lift people up, and we make our country even greater. America is great because America is good. And it really is they quoted the to all again. of us to make that true. You're killing now me, Whitey. And in the future, and particularly for our children and our grandchildren. Mr. Trump. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Nobody has more. Oh, please, everybody. Oh, and the women laughing and is bad. Frankly, uh, oh my those stories gosh. have been largely debunked. And I really want to just talk about something slightly different. She mentions this, which is all fiction, all fictionalized, probably or possibly started by her and her very sleazy campaign. But I will tell you. What isn't fictionalized are her emails where she destroyed 33,000 emails criminally, criminally, after getting a subpoena from the United States Congress. What happened to the FBI? I don't know. We have a great general, four-star general, today, you read it in all the papers, going to potentially serve five years in jail for lying to the FBI. One lie. She's lied hundreds of times to the people to congress and to the to the fbi he's going to all right that's going to do it for hour one we'll come back here the last 30 minutes because you must suffer with us suffering is what we do best here on the steve day show stay tuned you're listening to steve dace 
are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. All right, back with another hour of the Steve Day Show, whether you like it or not. And based on what we're hearing, you don't. But let's just keep that between us for now. Because it's almost Christmas and my kids have expectations. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Because we love getting scourged by a law we will listen to the last 30 minutes of tonight's debate in vegas you don't like what i did you should have changed the law mr trump i want to ask you about one last question in in this topic you have been warning at rallies recently that this election is rigged and that hillary clinton is in the process of trying to steal it from you your running mate governor pence pledged on sunday that he and you his words will absolutely accept the result of this election. Today, your daughter Ivanka said the same thing. I want to ask you here on the stage tonight, do you make the same commitment that you will absolutely, sir, that you will absolutely accept the result of this election? I will look at it at the time. I'm not looking at anything now. I'll look at it at the time. What I've seen, what I've seen is so bad. First of all, the media is so dishonest and so corrupt, and the pile-on is so amazing The New York Times actually wrote an article about it that they don't even care. It's so dishonest, and they've poisoned the minds of the voters. But unfortunately for them, I think the voters are seeing through it. I think they're going to see through it. We'll find out on November 8th, but I think they're going to see through it. But, sir, there's a— If you look—excuse me, Chris. If you look at your voter rolls, you will see— Millions of people that are registered to vote, millions, this isn't coming from me, this is coming from Pew Report and other places, millions of people that are registered to vote that shouldn't be registered to vote. So, let me just give you one other thing. So I talk about the corrupt media, I talk about the millions of people, tell you one other thing. She shouldn't be allowed to run. It's cro- it, she's, she's guilty of a very, very serious crime. She should not be allowed to run. And just in that respect, I say it's rigged because she but, should but, never, Tris, she should never have been allowed to run for the presidency based on what she did with emails and so many other but, things. But, sir, there is a tradition in this country. In fact, one of the prides of this country is the peaceful transition of power and that no matter how hard fought a campaign is, that at the end of the campaign, that... The loser concedes to the winner, not saying that you're necessarily going to be the loser or the winner, but that the loser concedes to the winner and that the country comes together in part for the good of the country. Are you saying you're not prepared now to commit to that principle? What I'm saying is that I will tell you at the time. I'll keep you in suspense. Well, Chris, let me respond to that because that's (sighs) horrifying. You know, every time Donald thinks things are not going in his direction, he claims whatever it is is rigged against him. Uh, The FBI conducted a year-long investigation into my emails. They concluded there was no case. He said the FBI was rigged. He lost the Iowa caucus. He lost the Wisconsin primary. He said the Republican primary was rigged against him. Then Trump University gets sued for fraud and racketeering. 
he claims the court system and the federal judge is rigged against him. Uh, there was even a time when he didn't get an Emmy for his TV program three years in a row, and he started tweeting that the Emmys were rigged against Should have gotten it. This, this is a mindset. This is, this is how Donald and he thinks. Just placed, and just it's funny, to but it's also really troubling. Okay. Now, that is not the way our democracy works. We've been around for 240 years. We've had free and fair elections. We've accepted the outcomes when we may not have liked them, and that is what must be expected of anyone standing on a debate stage during a general election. You know, President Obama said the other day, when you're whining before hold, hold, the game on, is folks. even hold on, finished, folks. it just shows you, you're not up to doing the job. And let's, you know, let's be clear about what he is saying and what that means. He is denigrating, he's talking down our democracy. And I, for one, am appalled. Now, that now we're going to let Hillary Clinton defend the integrity of America? Would take that. This is what we've done, people. This is what we did. Hey, at least we're entertained. No, we're not. We gave him to Tocqueville, and now she's going to defend the integrity of America. Good. Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor. Continue the debate, and let's move on. Beam to the me up, of Mr. Scott. Hotspots. The Iraqi offensive to take back Mosul has begun. If they are successful in pushing ISIS out of that city and out of all of Iraq, the question then becomes, what happens the day after? And that's something that whichever of you ends up, whoever of you ends up as president is going to have to confront. Will you put U.S. troops into that vacuum to make sure that ISIS doesn't come back or isn't replaced by something even worse? Secretary Clinton, you go first in this segment. You have two minutes. Well, I am encouraged that uh, there is an effort led by the Iraqi army, uh, supported by Kurdish forces, and uh, also given the help and advice from the number of special forces and other Americans on the ground. But I will not support putting American soldiers into Iraq as an occupying force. I don't think that is in our interests, and I don't think that would be smart to do. In fact, Chris, I think that would be a big red flag waving for ISIS to reconstitute itself. The goal here is to take back Mosul. It's going to be a hard fight. I've got no uh, illusions about that. And then continue to press into Syria to begin to take back and move on Raqqa, which is the ISIS headquarters. I am hopeful that the hard work that American uh, military advisors have done will pay off and that we will see uh, a real, a really successful military operation. But we know we've got lots of work to do. Syria will remain a hotbed of terrorism as long as the civil war aided and abetted by the Iranians and the Russians continue. So I have said, look, we need to keep our eye on ISIS. That's why I want to have an intelligence surge that protects us here at home, why we have to go after them from the air, on the ground, online, why we have to make sure here at home we don't let terrorists buy weapons. If you're too dangerous to fly, you're too dangerous to buy a gun. And I'm going to continue to uh, push for a 
no-fly zone and safe havens within Syria, not only to help protect the Syrians and prevent the constant outflow of refugees, but to frankly gain some leverage on both the Syrian government and the Russians so that perhaps we can have uh, the kind of serious negotiation necessary to bring the conflict to an end and go forward on a political track. Mr. Trump, same question. If we are able to push ISIS out of Mosul and out of Iraq, will, would you be willing to put U.S. troops in there to prevent their return or something else? Let me tell you, Mosul so sad. We had Mosul. Where is but Mosul? when she left, when she took everybody out, we lost Mosul. Now we're fighting again to get Mosul. The problem with Mosul and what they wanted to do is they wanted to get the leaders of ISIS who they felt were in Mosul. About three months ago, I started reading that they want to get the leaders and they're going, they're going to attack Mosul. Whatever happened to the element of surprise? Okay? We announced we're going after Mosul. I've been reading about going after Mosul now for about, how long is it, Hillary? Three months? These people have all left. They've all left. The element of surprise. Douglas, MacArthur, George Patton spinning in their graves when they see the stupidity of our country. So we're now fighting for Mosul that we had. All she had to do is stay there. Now we're going in to get it. But you know who the big winner in Mosul is going to be after we eventually get it? And the only reason they did it is because she's running for the office of president. And they want to look tough. They want to look good. He violated the red line in the sand. And he made so many mistakes, made all mistakes. That's why we have the great migration. But she wanted to look good for the election. So they're going in. But who's going to get Mosul, really? We'll take Mosul eventually. By the way, if you look at what's happening, much tougher than they thought. Much, much tougher, much more dangerous, going to be more deaths than they thought. But the leaders that we wanted to get are all gone because they're smart. They say, what do we need this for? So Mosul is going to be a wonderful thing, and Iran should write us a letter of thank you, just like the really stupid, the stupidest deal of all time. A deal that's going to give Iran absolutely nuclear weapons. Iran should write us yet another letter saying thank you very much. Because Iran, as I said many years ago, Iran is taking over Iraq. Something they've wanted to do forever, but we've made it so easy for them. So we're now going to take Mosul. And you know who's going to be the beneficiary? Iran. Boy, are they making. I mean, they are outsmarting. I, look, you're not there. You might be involved in that decision, but you were there when you took everybody out of Mosul and out of Iraq. You shouldn't have been in Iraq, but you did vote for it. You shouldn't have been in Iraq, but once you were in Iraq, you should have Sir, never left the way. The point is, you're the two minutes winner, do, do you know what he said? Uh... He said everybody's left Mosul, but it will be hard to take it back. Did I hear that right? You're listening to Steve Dace. It's about convictions, not positions. Steve Dace. Second, second half of this debate is not going well for Trump. Similar pattern that we saw the first debate. While we were gone, he tried to bring up what uh, Bernie Sanders uh, said about Hillary Clinton in WikiLeaks. 
Hillary came, responded back with, well, he's supporting me for president and thinks you're the most dangerous person ever to uh, seek out the presidency. So I'm not so sure you think it's the best idea to inject Bernie Sanders' opinion into this conversation. Then we had to have Chris Wallace actually correct Mr. Trump on his on what's because remember I pointed out earlier before we went to break. Did Trump say that everybody's left Mosul? Mosul at the same time we have to read that that it will be very difficult to retake. Mm-hmm. How can those things both be true? Well, during the break, Chris Wallace uh, had to essentially fact check the Republican nominee for president on foreign policy to make sure he understood what he was actually talking about. Todd, Trump has been the definition through and through as we've gone on of blowback. He's got these heat-seeking missiles, and he shoots them at her. And they are shot by any other person. They should just explode her, bring her out of the sky. But his heat signature is worse than hers. So the missiles just all come around the way you're talking about and end up blasting him. I have an analogy of what this election is. I want to throw at you when this debate is over, but it's almost over. So let's endure to the most spiteful end. Fly zone to try to protect the people of Aleppo and to stop the killing there. President Obama has refused to do that because he fears it's going to draw us closer or deeper into the conflict. And General Joseph Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, says, you impose a no-fly zone, chances are you're going to get into a war, his words, with Syria and, and Russia. So the question I have is, if you impose a no-fly zone, first of all, how do you respond to their concerns? Secondly, If you impose a no-fly zone and a Russian plane violates that, does President Clinton shoot that plane down? Well, Chris, first of all, I think a no-fly zone could save lives and could hasten the end of the conflict. I am well aware of the really legitimate concerns that you have expressed from both the president and the general. Uh, This would not be done just on the first day. This would take a lot of negotiation and would also take making it clear to the Russians and the Syrians that our purpose here was to provide safe zones on the ground. We've had millions of people leave Syria, and those millions of people uh, inside Syria who've been dislocated. So I think we could strike a deal and make it very clear uh, to the Russians and the Syrians that this was something that we believe was in the best interests of the people on the ground in Syria. It would help us with our fight against ISIS. But I want to respond to what Donald said about refugees. He's made these claims repeatedly. I am not going to let anyone into this country who is not vetted, who we do not have confidence in, but I am not going to slam the door on women and children. That picture of that little four-year-old boy in Aleppo with the blood coming down his face while he sat in an ambulance is haunting. And so we are going to do very careful, thorough vetting. That does not solve our internal challenges with ISIS and our need to stop radicalization, to work with American Muslim communities who are on the front lines to identify and prevent attacks. In fact, the killer of the dozens of people at the nightclub in Orlando, the Pulse nightclub, was born in Queens, the same place Donald was born. So let's be clear about what the threat is and how we are best going to be able to meet it. And yes, some of that threat emanates from over in Syria and Iraq, and we've got to keep fighting, and I will defeat ISIS. And some of it is we have to up our game and be much smarter here Folks, at home. I want to get into our final segment. But, but I just have to, it's, it's so quick. ridiculous what you, she will defeat ISIS. We should have never let ISIS happen in the first place. And right now they're in 32 countries. Okay. You should have never. Wait one second. They had a ceasefire three weeks ago. 
a ceasefire, United States, Russia, Syria. And during the ceasefire, Russia took over vast swatches of land. And then they said, we don't want the ceasefire anymore. We are so outplayed on missiles, on ceasefires. They are outplayed. Now, she wasn't there. I assume she had nothing to do with it. But our country is so outplayed by okay. Putin and Assad and, uh, by the way, and by Iran. Nobody can believe how stupid our leadership is. Mr. Well, Trump, Secretary Clinton, no, we need to move on to our final segment, and that is the national debt, which has not been discussed until tonight. Our national debt as a share of the economy, our GDP, is now 77 percent. That's the highest since just after World War II. But the nonpartisan committee for a responsible federal budget says, Secretary Clinton, under your plan, debt would rise to 86 percent of GDP over the next 10 years. Mr. Trump, under your plan, they say it would rise to 105 percent of GDP over the next 10 years. Question is, why are both of you ignoring this problem? Mr. Trump, you go first. Well, I say they're wrong because I'm going to create tremendous jobs. And we're bringing GDP from really 1%, which is what it is now. And if she got in, it'll be less than zero. Uh, but we're bringing it from 1% up to 4%. And I actually think we can go higher than 4%. I think you can go to 5 or 6%. And if we do, you don't have to bother asking your question because we have a tremendous machine. We will have created a tremendous economic machine once again. To do that, we're taking back jobs. We're not going to let our companies be raided by other countries where we lose all our jobs. We don't make our product anymore. It's very sad. But I'm going to create a the kind of a country that we were from the standpoint of industry, we used to be there. We've given it up. We've become very, very sloppy. We've had people that are political hacks making the biggest deals in the world, bigger than companies. You take these big companies, these trade deals are far bigger than these companies. And yet we don't use our great leaders, many of whom back me and many of whom back Hillary, I must say. But we don't use those people. Those are the people. These are the greatest negotiators in the world. We have the greatest business people in the world. We have to use them to negotiate our trade deals. We use political hacks. We use people that get the position because they gave they made a campaign contribution. And they're dealing with China and people that are very much smarter than they are. So we have to use our great people. But... With that being said, we will create an economic machine, the likes of which we haven't seen in many decades. And people, Chris, will again go back to work and they'll make a lot of money and we'll have companies that will grow and expand and start from new. Secretary Clinton. Well, first, when Hold I hear... Hold on a second. I, hear... I want to ask. And tell me for real, okay? Did that make any sense to you? I'm asking. It, um, I, I have to tell the truth on this show. When did it make people, any sense to you? When people just start rambling like that, I just I tune out. So the answer to your question is but no. That's what I talked about before. I have no uh, expectations because that is my baseline. How many times have you rhetorically asked us that in all these debates, in the months before that, over and over and over? That's my baseline right there. Just rambling, incoherent nonsense. World... He was criticizing President Reagan. This is the way Donald thinks about himself, puts himself into, you know, the middle and says, you know, I alone can fix it, as he said on the convention stage. But if you look at the debt, which is the issue you asked about, Chris, 
I pay for everything I'm proposing. I do not add a penny to the national debt. I take that very seriously <laughs> because I do think it's one of the now, issues. Now, in a sane country, to come to- that would have earned the kind of laughs, if not more, than Trump saying no one respects women as much as me. People would have just spontaneously combusted in laughter at such chutzpah. But this is instead 2016. Listening to Steve Dace. Want your country back? Keep listening for instructions. This is Steve Dace. Let's go right back. Candidates now getting ready to wrap up the last debate. Increase value, emphasize wellness. I have a plan for doing that, and I think that we will be able to get entitlement spending under control is, by with more resources and is, smarter decisions. This is the final time, probably to both of your delight, that you're going to be on the stage together in this campaign. I would like to end it on a positive note. You had not agreed to uh, closing statements, but it seems to me in a funny way that might make it more interesting because you haven't prepared closing statements. So I'd like you each to take it. We're going to put a clock up a minute as the final question and the final debate to tell the American people why they should elect you to be the next president. This is another new mini segment. Secretary Clinton, it's your turn to go first. Well, I would like to um, say to everyone watching tonight uh, that I'm reaching out to all Americans, Democrats, Republicans and independents, because we need everybody to help make our country what it should be, to grow the economy, to make it fairer, to make it work for everyone. We need your talents, your skills, your commitment, your energy, your ambition. You know, I've been privileged to see the presidency up close, and I know the awesome responsibility of protecting our country and the incredible opportunity of working to try to make life better for all of you. I have made the cause of children and families uh, really my life's work. That's what my mission will be in the presidency. I will stand up for families against powerful interests, against corporations. I will do everything that I can to make sure that you have good jobs with rising incomes, that your kids have good educations from preschool through college. I hope you will give me a chance to serve as your president. Secretary Clinton, thank you. Mr. Trump. She's raising the money from the people she wants to control. It doesn't work that way. But when I started this campaign, I started it very strongly. It's called Make America Great Again. We're going to make America great. We have a depleted military. It has to be helped. It has to be fixed. We have the greatest people on earth in our military. We don't take care of our veterans. We take care of illegal immigrants, people that come into the country illegally better than we take care of our vets. That can't happen. Our policemen and women are disrespected. We need law and order, but we need justice, too. Our inner cities are a disaster. You get shot walking to the store. They have no education. They have no jobs. I will do more for African-Americans and Latinos than she can ever do in 10 lifetimes. All she's done is talk to the African-Americans and to the Latinos. But they get the vote, and then they come back. They say, we'll see you in four years. We are going to make America strong again, and we are going to make America great again, and it has to start now. We cannot take four more years of Barack Obama, and that's what you get when you get her. Thank you both. Secretary Clinton, hold on just a moment, folks. Secretary Clinton, Mr. Trump, I want to thank you both for participating 
in all three of these debates. That brings to an end this year's debate sponsored by the Commission on Presidential Debates. We want to thank the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and its students for having us. Now the decision is up to you. While millions have already voted, Election Day, November 8th, is just 20 days away. One thing everyone All right, that's the end of everything. <laughs> you know, I actually have a different take on this. Um, this, I think, a golden era. I think you just told, heard a golden era begin in the United States. I think Donald Trump has succeeded in making America great again. Because you know why? For the rest of our lives, we will never, ever, ever again be subjected to a political de- debate involving Donald Trump. Unless he runs again. Lord have mercy. Todd, talk. I'm, I'm trying to gather my thoughts, of which there are many. Oh, where to start? Um, let me go back to what I've said multiple times. This is what we all deserved. Uh, we've Many people want to run from this, spin this, claim high ground that they in no way should be claiming. Uh, we, through and through, as a culture, as a church, this is what we need. We brought what we needed upon ourselves. It is bitter, awful medicine. But if we hope to be redeemed at the end of this and return to be the country we were, the constitutional people we were, the shining city on a hill, we had to go through this. Going through it is no guarantee we get back there. We may end up just deciding, we hey, wow, we love the taste of vomit. More, please. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember where a Democrat would never openly say they were going to raise taxes brazenly in a forum like this. Right. I mean, her husband would use terms like investment, but they would just never openly just say it brazenly. Well, it just happened with Obamacare not too long ago, right? I've got an analogy that um, I, I think describes what's happened in this election. You guys tell me if you think I'm right or wrong when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not concerned about what you think, but why you think it. Steve Dace. So, here's my overall thoughts of this debate. I thought first 45 minutes or so, when it was about substantive issues, I thought Donald Trump uh, more than held his own. And, And of course... This is within the context of the existing expectation structure, right? So let's, let's, let's make sure we point that out. I mean, I'm not saying this was God, man, and y- at Yale, okay? I'm not, you know, this wasn't Russell Kirk up there, okay? What I'm saying is, given what material we have to work with, I'm trying to have a serious conversation, Erz, and you're not allowing me to do it, okay? What I'm saying is, given what we have, okay, <laughs> which admittedly... Isn't much. But given what we have, I thought he was more than holding his own. I thought he was scoring a lot of solid points on issues. 
which shows you how indefensible her record and positions on the issues are, that even somebody somebody as lowbrow and unqualified as Trump is able to best her on an issue debate. Can you only imagine somebody who actually knew what they were talking about was standing up there any of these nights? Try not to imagine it. You'll be more depressed and will cut yourself. Trust me. Not That was a friend of mine I, that told me it happened to them one night. And you'll also understand why the Democrats wanted Trump, too. Yeah, a friend of mine told me it, it just so happens he does a show from 9 p.m. to midnight, too. And he went home after one of these debates imagining... What would have been? What it would have been like if somebody who actually knew the issues was up there with Hillary Clinton, and he started cutting himself? Glad that wasn't me. Anyway, no, I just, I, I'm, it's not. I, I just wear long sleeves year round. Uh, anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, uh, even even in in Trump's decrepit condition, he can best her in a debate on the issues because her record and her resume and her current policy views are indefensible. She's just a regurgitation of all the Democratic talking points we've heard all of our lives. And then when the Putin issue came up, very similar, although we didn't have the systemic meltdown that we saw in the first debate, but I thought it was very similar to the pivot on his taxes in the first debate, where from that point forward, he could not recover. He couldn't get it back on message consistently. And I thought she delivered several shots at him that were effective, sad to say. Uh, and, And when you're getting the optics... See, I'm viewing winning and losing in the prism of whatever percentage of the vote is still undecided and or would like an excuse not to vote for Hillary Clinton. That's, I'm not viewing it in the, in the minds of, well, Republicans will feel like the bleeding is still... I could give a rip about that. Who cares if you lose by four or lose by 14? All right, a loss is a loss. You know what I'm saying? Who, who cares what the score was? That's the end of the game. You, if this is the Super Bowl, you lose. Anybody walk away from the Super Bowl thinking, boy, man, it really... The Bills lost four Super Bowls in a row. Think they felt better about the one Scott Norwood missed that kick than the one where they got blown out when the Cowboys put a 50-burger on them? Or do you think they both sucked just the same? You know what I'm saying? They're not, they're not sitting there celebrating, well, you know, we had that respectable Mitt Romney Super Bowl loss. No. Nobody does that. A loss is a loss is a loss when you're playing for championships. We agree? Agreed. Is that the dude code? Mm-hmm. All right, so, so I don't really give a rip about the spin of... Republicans, I think they stopped the bleeding. Who cares? Who cares if in, 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 in 20 days the, the 538 odds are that it's 80% she wins or 68? Who cares? Who cares if he loses by four, he loses by 14? Losers care about such things. What I'm looking at is winning. So whatever percentage of the vote is out there that's undecided or wants to have their minds changed, doesn't want to vote for that. What were they thinking? Here's what I think they were thinking. For about 45 minutes, okay. Told myself I wasn't going to watch, but I can't walk away. Eh, oh, that wasn't bad. Okay, well, whoa, yeah. Kind of held his own there on the Supreme Court thing. Okay, cool. Yeah, all right, that makes some sense. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, boy. Mm, no. No, don't, don't, don't say that. Oh, no, don't do that. Why am I not watching the NLCS? Oh, no. Did, did he just say nobody respects women more than any? Yes, and then the laugh. Yeah. The optics of that moment are 
devastating. And it is similar to when the crowd started laughing at him in the first debate and Hillary sat there and smiled and we had the split screen. And I told you guys that night that split screen clip will be devastating. That was the sound of a name becoming a verb. Yes. And it went on from there. He has to get corrected by Chris Wallace on, on, his, on his own foreign policy views. He then makes a really good pivot at the end when he brings up Obamacare. And then he says, quote, she's such a nasty woman, unquote. Almost as if he's thinking, you know, I wonder what the largest gender gap in modern American political times looks like. Let's find, find out. out. Yeah. Let's find out, guys. You know, I really don't want Kellyanne Conway to ever work again. So let's, let's push this button and see what happens. It is, I I am excruciated and I'm never Trump. I cannot imagine what someone who is actively supporting him goes through in this kind of an exercise. Oh, yes, I know, because I'm a Detroit Lions fan. So you bet I know. I absolutely know, which is why I'm taking this so personally, even though I can't bring myself to vote for him, because I have lived this game. I have lived it so many times. I know how it ends. It's going to be really, all my life. It's going to be fun going to all the conventions down the road and seeing what interesting twitches people have picked up after going through this based on what you just said. I mean, the, the damage, the, the time spent on the couch walking through all this, it's going to be huge. So here's my analogy of this election. Imagine you had a cold-blooded killer dead to rights on the witness stand. You got him. You had the evidence. We had eyewitnesses. We got DNA. The problem is the district attorney... Is a drunk philanderer who uh, swindled a few old ladies out of a few dollars to get reelected. And all the defendant has to do is create a, quote, reasonable doubt, right? So they turn the entire case into a referendum on, well, this, this district attorney, the DA, whatever he's saying about the DA, it's flawed because he's, I mean, look at him. He's a lying philanderer, scam artist. He can't be trusted. And that's what happens every time. Every time he lands body blows, she goes immediately to she she hits him she hits him in the chin, in the glass jaw, with the character issues, and that shuts everything down. Do you think that's an apropos analogy? I would say so. Damn. And I think it's what's transpired in every single one of these debates. And it's just darned frustrating to watch. You're listening to Steve Dace. Right versus wrong, not right versus left. This is Steve Dace. Chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your beliefs, and that's why Patriot Mobile was created, to give conservatives a chance to put our money where our values are and support a company that will invest our valuable resources back into our values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and texting high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices. And they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. So you'll get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prizes, and causes that you believe in will be supported. So go to PatriotMobile.com, PatriotMobile.com, or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. That's 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to switch, use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. 
All right, let's do a little reconciliation. We each gave out before we went to the uh, stage what our pre-debate expectations were. I will begin because I was the most wrong. Chris Wallace has a, has, has a tendency in these formats to pour on the sanctimony. That did not happen tonight. I thought he did an outstanding job. I thought he was a credit to his profession. And, I, and, and I'm sure some of that is also the sliding scale of comparison to what his predecessors, how his predecessors often behave in these scenarios. But even without those comparisons in the back of my mind, just as a standalone entity, given the material he has to work with, with two candidates this damaged and this disliked, I thought he was outstanding. So my prediction at the beginning of the debate that no matter what these two said, he would be the person everybody would be the angriest at, dead wrong. I, I think uh, I'd be buying shares in Chris Wallace stock after tonight. So, Todd, your pre-debate prediction was what? Well, that I I really had no expectations because I've seen this before. We've all seen this bar hundreds of times. There, there was absolutely no rational reason to sit there and wonder, well, how might we be surprised this time? We know these two people intimately. There's nothing you're going to be surprised about. And that's the problem. <laughs> yes. Way too intimately. So, Aaron, your pre-debate prediction was? Uh, I was uh, thinking Hillary Clinton would go on uh, prevent defense, which for the, um, I mean, tell me what you think, but I, I think that that's basically, that was her attack. I mean, although she did get a, a lot of good hits in on Trump just because of who he is, but overall there was no need for her to go uh, after any home run. Uh, I thought Trump would go scorched earth. And for Can most- I add to what you just said for sure. a moment? Yeah. I think she gets away with prevent defense because he can't stick to a point. Yeah. He tries to make he tries to throw ten or fifteen lines out in two mm-hmm. minutes, as opposed to dissecting her like a like a real prosecutor. And so she gets away with prevent defense because um, she rope a dope some basically. Yeah, I mean, so against the prevent defense, you know what you do? You just dump the ball off and keep getting first downs until you move right. the ball down the field. Against the prevent defense, he keeps trying to throw bombs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what they're back there trying to prevent. But anyway, finish your point. Uh, Donald Trump would go scorched earth, which he really didn't as much as I thought he would tonight. Worldview Wednesday is coming up next. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, Worldview Wednesday, we'll continue our series taking a look at why conservatives lost this era so we can learn the lessons necessary to win the future. But first, it's time for three questions. Three questions. 
We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is that time of the night when our producer Aaron reminds us Mama was right when she told you it ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. Our producer Aaron, he takes control for the next 10-15 minutes. He gets to ask us any three things. About any three things, nothing is off limits, provided he answers the same questions himself. Aaron. Thank you, Steve. Question one. I've read a couple of articles recently which have attempted to boil down and make accessible what we have seen so far in 2016 as rural versus urban, i.e. people who have been hit hardest by the economic downturn of years past in the rural parts of the country versus people in urban areas that just don't understand their plight. City folk versus rural people. Is there any value in making that comparison, um, or is it just another way of saying that people fell for a con man? Well, I mean, before um, before he became in, in, in infected with Trumpism, Mike Huckabee wrote a book a few years ago about Bubbleville versus Bubbaville. Mm-hmm. I, I do think there is something to this, but this is pretty much always the case. Democrats win urban areas. Republicans win, win rural areas. It's just a matter of what the margins are. It's a little bit like, look at the gender gap. There's always a gender gap. There has been as long as I can remember. The, the question is, um, how wide is that gap? And, and really, the gender gap tends to be a minority gender gap. Mitt Romney won white women by 14 points. All right, so the, the problem in this election is Trump is losing white women. Okay, so that that exacerbates the pre-existing gender gap. The problem in this election is Trump is losing the suburbs, which exacerbates the the, the gap between the rural areas and the urban areas. But that's that's not even a hot take. Most of uh, most elections, certainly all of your life, Aaron, and most right. of mine, right. Democrats have won the urban areas and Republicans have won the rural areas. And that's why, Todd, from from our coverage of this election from day one. What did we say was the demographic Republicans had to flip to win this election? Do you guys remember? Suburban. The suburban voters were going to be the voters that would determine this election. And they ended up nominating the candidate in their 17-person field. Suburban voters hated the most. And, and the inability or unwillingness, as the case may be, to come up with a candidate and or a message that would flip those voters is one of the key reasons why uh, we'll see the results we'll see in three weeks. I think this is okay insofar as it goes. It's one demographic like many others. If you treat it at data, you're smart about it, you look at it, that's okay. But if we are just start engaging in the same kind of tribalism that the left thrives on, that's what's going to be disappointing. We can't just, like you said, we can't be two years ago talking about, oh, the God grits and gravy crowd and how they are the backbone of our party mm-hmm. and now want to be throwing them under the bus because somehow they're not as, uh, you know, they're, they're too easily duped. They, they became Trump bumpkins, you know? We can, we can even on the front end of the Trump Thing because, hey, we came in, we we're like, hey, he's calling all the right people, the right names. We like that. Uh, we, we can understand their angst. Steve, you've given them credit for that from the get-go. You've never taken that away from them. Uh, but it's the point where you turn, you become undiscerning and turn things into a cult when that's a problem. But we shouldn't be throwing rural people under the bus. We shouldn't be throwing uh, black Reach. people under the bus. We shouldn't be throwing Hispanics under the bus. Uh, that is who the left is. 
and we should know by now if there's anything not to be, it's that. Yeah, I was I was kind of going down. The, I think there is some sort of, at a human level, um, making this sort of comparison or this uh, analogy that uh, people, you know, the, the, the rural areas are usually the last to get hit um, by economic downturns and usually the last to recover uh, by a wide margin. And it makes more sense at a human level when people see their jobs going year after year, uh, being moved out of the that, country. That's never not been true, though, since right. the Industrial Revolution. I'm just saying at a human level, I, I, these kind of types of comparisons do help us make sense of that, other than just saying, oh, a bunch of people just went crazy and joined a cult, um, even though that's that may be what it sounds yeah, I mean, like. Well, and that is, but that, you're absolutely right. There this, are numerous this things of, that are simultaneously true. These types of comparisons just reek of class warfare, though. The, the, it, a little bit of what's happening in our culture is similar to what happened 120 years ago. I can't believe everybody's taking these factory jobs out in the city and they don't want to they don't want to run the corner store or work on the farm anymore, okay? Well, w- Pittsburgh doesn't want to be the steel city anymore. That creates pollution, grime, dirt. They want to be the Google city. Just like 120 years ago, you didn't want to grow up and take over dad's farm. You wanted to go get a job in the factory, you know, get right out of high school, you know, marry your high school sweetheart and, and, and have a life. You didn't want to, you wanted to work nine to five. You didn't want to work 27 hours out there right. on a farm. Things have changed. Things change. Well, and, they, it, and, and, that's, and so, yes, there are some things that we are systemically doing economically to hurt these groups. But some of it is, I hate to sound like the scorpions. Some of it, though, is the winds have changed, okay? <laughs> and you just have to live with the reality. People don't want steel mills anymore. By and large, they don't want to be industrial towns anymore. What, what they want to be, and if they are industrial towns, they want to be like that town Meridian, Georgia, where Kia brought the Sorrento there, and everything is made like with computer chips. You know what I mean? This is not 1958, and, and then most Americans don't want that. You're just going to have to realize it. Yeah. Uh, our guest we had on the show last night, Ed uh, Conard. Uh, from the American Enterprise Institute uh, hit on that a little bit too. It's just that that's the way our economy is is turning. Uh, question two: How? Be, and I'm a- especially anxious to hear both uh, Steve and Todd's perspective on this. How big of a part of corporate worship are the lyrics to songs we sing? In your view, say that last part again. I'm sorry. In your view, how big of a part of corporate worship are the lyrics to the songs we sing in church? Um. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I mean, I'd like to know what the, the the question belies. What what is the point of the question? Might help me to answer it. Uh, yeah, there's there's kind of been, and I've seen a few articles on this before, but there's kind of been this notion, and that's uh, gone on for a while that I picked up on. That in general, worship music um, in the church in America nowadays, and maybe in general, uh, the newer worship music is less deep than the old hymns. There's probably some truth to that. I, I wonder, though, when we started writing some of these, I mean, you know, one of the hymns we sing in our church, St. Aquinas wrote, okay? But a, a lot of the hymns that get sang today were written post-Protestant Reformation. I wonder if, if, if people in the 16th and 17th century at that time said, um, when, when John Newton's, when, when, in the 19th century, when John Newton's Amazing Grace was first introduced at churches, did people say, it's okay, but it's nothing like just singing the Psalms directly out of the Bible. You know, I, th- I just, I don't know how much of this is just generational fuddy-duddyism. 
nostalgia for a time that never really existed, how much of it is legitimate angst over shallowness in the church, which we have expressed plenty of angst about on this show over uh, over the years, and, and maybe, Todd, it's all of the above. I think a lot of it is just safe. Uh, you know, I can go two directions. As a Catholic, I'd like to go old school and hear a lot more Gregorian chant. On the other hand, pop culture, and I, I'm bringing up an example, and I know their own personal faith story up and down, but you go Evanescence, Bring Me to Life, that song is just pure gospel uh, through and through. So I'm, I am like Steve. I, I'm, I want something richer and deeper, but it does not have to be old school richer and deeper. I think that's what I mean. There's fantastic songs that are very, very contemporary that are sure. the deepest, the deepest stuff there is. I think there's. I think it's fifty fifty. Um, I think fifty percent of of worship, and this is at the personal level, fifty percent at least is uh, the depth to the lyrics, the, the the musicality, and the beautiful nature of the music and the lyrics and the words, and then maybe even a bigger percentage than fifty percent is the intent at which of of which you sing, your intent behind joining along in, in corporate worship. Uh, question number three, rapid fire. Um, Two quick questions. Should pass interference be a reviewable play in the NFL? Yes. And no. if you had the skills to be one, would you choose to be a football referee at a major level? No. See, no. that's my gut reaction, too, but I'm no, going the other thankless, way. No, thankless job. Makes a and, lot and of I, money. And I'd prefer to have a rooting interest. Todd? Uh, I umpired minor league baseball for a season, and it was one of the thrills of my life. So, yeah, absolutely. It's fun to be right in the middle of it. I think I'd, I think I'd go for it. We'll come back. Worldview Wednesday is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Elitism. Marxism. Atheist. Government intervention. Secular humanist. Liberals and conservatives. Materialism. Nihilism. U.S. Americans. Christian. Globalist. Socialist. Democracy. Worldview, as the word suggests, is how we look at the world around us. How do we understand life as it hits us in the face? Libertarian. Tea Party. The free market. Nobody is without a worldview. The only question is, is it a good one or a bad one? So it becomes the glasses, the spectacles, the filter through which they're actually seeing life. And the whole universe and the world and human life is understood through that lens. This is Steve Dace. And this is Worldview Wednesday, your college philosophy class on the radio here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. This is when we delve a little bit deeper than we already do uh, into the various beliefs and worldviews that are what create all of the issues and discussions that we have and we debate on shows like this each and every day. And we've been doing this series, uh, we're almost to the end now. Uh, this is the penultimate episode. We've been we've been doing this series on why conservatives lost. Why did we lose this era so that we can learn the lessons necessary to win the future? Part six this week, we're going to take a look at losing isn't pragmatic. It's just losing. Now, stop me if you've heard any of these cliches before. I share your principles, but we have to be more pragmatic. 
You guys ever heard that one before? Yes. Yep. Way too many times. How about this one? Half a loaf is better than none. Right? Please clap. (laughs) How about, I know you've heard this one. There's a certain way we do things around here. See, I was waiting for one that really... Really? That's the, is that the eye roller right there? Oh, your way sucks. That's the stomach-turning eye roller right there for you, Todd. Aaron, I got, um, a, yeah. I got a groan from you over there in the peanut gallery, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's something that makes me... That, that along with the, uh, the, the the condescending pat on the, he- on, the, on the heads from people who are like, oh, yeah, you're young. That and there's a certain way we do things around here are two of my uh, least well, favorite things. When they say it, I don't think they necessarily believe it. But implied in there is like, they're Bruce Belichick. And if you just stick with Bill me, there's going to be, excuse me, That's Bill okay. Belichick, there's going to be so much winning. Where has that winning been with this way? Well, there's been a lot of win and winning. They just didn't tell you who the winning was going to be for. But some, oh, but some, some people have been winning an awful lot for this election. Now, these are cliches that are uttered so often by those we elect to champion the conservative cause. I mean, they're almost like religious mantras. Especially because all too often we just accept them as articles of faith ourselves. Oh, yeah, I guess that's, you know, still better than Democrat. Move on. Nothing to see here. We just naively go about blaming the left for everything. We had Trevor Loudon, and I know Trevor, great guy, real patriot. We just had him on this show, was it last night? Monday. Or Monday night. Yeah. And. I sit there and and I'm listening to him detail all the infiltration of our government by Marxists in the Muslim Brotherhood, naming names. And I'm like, where is the opposition party to all of this? I mean, we don't live in a system unless we take up arms ourselves, which I don't think anybody wants to have to do, where we are empowered to self-police. It's a republic. Well, we are electing people to act on our behalf. Where is the action? I remember I went to the first time I was invited to this like exclusive gathering of conservative leaders around the country. And then they went way down the list and I got invited. And I'm listening to Kelly Shackelford, great guy, he's been on our show. And I'm listening to Kelly Shackelford, one of the leading constitutional attorneys in the United States. Go on, this was just oh, four or five years ago. First time I met Kelly, actually. And I'm listening to him just give us this laundry list of assaults against constitutional freedoms and the Obama administration's war on religious liberty was just beginning at this time. And one gentleman was sitting in this workshop that I was in listening to Kelly Shackelford lay all these down saying, hey, what do we elect all these Republicans for? That was his question. He's like, you know, it's not cheap to come to these exclusive meetings at these five-star hotels. So what you're telling me is my votes are irrelevant. They don't count. Doesn't seem to matter who wins. They do exactly what they want, no matter what. We have placed no real expectations on our guys beyond mind-numbingly repeating anybody but and fill in the void of, you know, fill in the blank of a name, whatever is pertinent this election cycle. Anybody but Hillary, anybody but Obama, anybody but Kerry, anybody but anybody. Now, at Conservative Review, we are doing our best to break the chain here, Fleetwood Mac, okay? Um, We are attempting to create a non-servile paradigm. That's why 
the Liberty Scorecard was created to document how these guys are actually voting. I think a lot of this comes down to yet another word whose definition has been reappropriated or lost altogether in this era. And that word is pragmatism. Now, for most people, they would tell you pragmatism is doing what works or what's practical in a given situation. What is practical about doing the bidding of your opposition? What's practical to that? I think that's called losing. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple nights ago on this show, I'm somewhat tongue-in-cheek when I was talking about the Republicans trying to retain their congressional majorities on, we'll, we'll impeach Hillary by 2018. Pointing out that, you know, in, in, two, in 1996, they divorced themselves from Bob Dole under the idea that, hey, you want us to keep Bill Clinton's feet to the fire. I was kind of playing off of that. I put a snarky tweet. I mean, people, it's three days later, people are still melting down about this. Now, I, I understand why our liberal friends are melting down about it. And I have to say, I've really enjoyed trolling them. It has been far too long. <laughs> That's what I got into this business Hello, for. old friends. Indeed. <laughs> Norm! That's what it felt like. All right? But now I've got a bunch of our own friends. You don't know that's how we got Trump. And I'm like, guys, first of all, this is Twitter. I'm just trolling people. Secondly, if you think Trump's problem is that he's too confrontational, you're, you're going to learn all the wrong lessons from this. Is that he's a knuckle-dragging douchebag. That's a joke, crazy, no one takes seriously, who doesn't know the issues. He's not qualified for the job. He's unfit for the presidency. But if you think, if you think the, the, bomb, the, the bomb, the salve to the Trumpian explosion of 2016 is to go full tail tuck between the legs, full Hillary rubber stamp, you won't just face a Trump demagogue next time. You'll face the end of your party. People will just nuke you. Because that's, that's, that, it, 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 the sentiment Trump tapped into is real and valid. I've said before on the show, I understand why people thought they wanted a leader like Trump. I just don't understand why they thought he was such a leader. He's not, this is, these are not the droids you're looking for. It is not practical to do the bidding of your opposition. Todd is right. It's just losing. And that's where we're going to pick up the conversation here when we continue in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Cannot stop him. You can only hope to contain him. This is Steve Dace. All right, continuing here on a Worldview Wednesday, our ongoing series, which concludes next week. But this is part six of why conservatives lost this era. So we can learn the lessons necessary to win the future that losing isn't pragmatic. It's just losing. It is not practical to do the bidding of your opposition. Now... I could justify 
this approach somewhat if it meant the other guys were giving something back in return. When was the last time the left gave in on anything? Do you know, Todd? Um, I don't know. Do you know? Oh, not only that, they they use they accuse us of wanting to uh, shut down uh, the government. We clearly have no intention of doing so, and they just got done, what, uh, just a couple weeks ago, saying that they their plan for whatever they were fighting at the time, I think it was the budget issue, but they were planning to sit there and shut down. Oh, I th- wasn't it abortion? Yeah, They were going to shut down the government over abortion. Right. Yeah, right. And they're stone cold. Yeah. It was the Zika funding. Yeah. Zika funding. Uh, and they thinking. said, hey, we, you got to fund Planned Parenthood yeah. along with Zika. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the the compromise um, that people like the Mitch McConnells of the world tout that they get from the Democrats are nothing more than just slower losing again. When was the last time some grand bargain between Democrats and Republicans was cut that helped advance the conservative cause at all? That we got something out of it and thought, okay. I suppose, you know, your boy Rick Santorum could say when they made the grand bargain for Medicare Part D, he got health savings accounts. That's something. Okay. I mean, we could debate whether the monstrosity of Medicare Part D, which was the biggest welfare program of all time until Obamacare, whether that was a worthwhile trade. But at least it was something tangible. It was also more than a decade ago. And meaningless now because of Obamacare. And and, you're right. HSAs are largely meaningless now because of Obamacare. You're right. But that was something, right? That was something. But we're going back now over a decade ago. <laughs> and we're scraps we're begging for here. I think, the, I think when, when your boy Rick Santorum made that deal with the HSAs, I think Aaron wasn't shaving yet. Aaron, were you shaving yet? 2006. A uh, little bit no. earlier than that? Uh, two th- no, I would have been like 12, 11 yeah. or 12. I think it would have been like, that was more 03, 04 is when they cut oh, that Oh, I would have been right? 10, yeah. So tell me, Steve, why are some conservatives that we we tend to respect right now still making the argument that the conservatives haven't done such a bad job these last eight years holding Obama back? Are they doing the same thing you talked about with some of these preachers? They're, they're somehow they they just have to justify something yeah. somehow. Yeah, it just they have a picture. In, in, it, I think some of it they're, they're just dishonest. Sometimes they're just wrong. Sometimes they have a picture of a person that they're either personally close to or an ideal of a person they think could win a national election, like say a Paul Ryan. So they're going to so reverse engineer a narrative in order to justify their support for his candidacy. Is that code for just making stuff up, what you just said? <laughs> and euphemism, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, here's how we should respond to those aforementioned cliches. True pragmatism is discovering a practical way to advance your principles, not giving your opponents almost everything they want while gaining virtually nothing of significance in return and then calling it a day. That is not pragmatism. If the loaf is a moldy pile of bread, who wants 1% of it, let alone half? Like, did you want half a loaf of Obamacare? Would you like that? No, I don't don't want any of that, actually. How about if your certain way of doing things doesn't consistently serve your stated mission? Why do you keep doing things this way? Why would you expect a different result other than all the results you've been getting? Now, if you want to know what true pragmatic incrementalism looks like you got to look at our enemies i shouldn't say enemies look at our opponents the left we really only have one enemy if you know what i'm saying they are the jedi masters of pragmatic incrementalism preach they will usually begin with an outrageous claim that is clearly outside the political mainstream at the time that they make it something like government should make sure everyone has a right to health care 
Now, when they first started uttering this in the early 1960s, it sounded just like what it actually is to a vast majority of Americans at the time. Socialism, taken right from the notes of Fidel Castro. Keep in mind, the generation they were saying this to had just defeated fascism in Italy, um, socialist tyranny, socialist fascism in in Germany, and we're now facing the central hub of socialist Marxism in the world at the dawn of the Cold War in the Soviet Union. So this was a generation fairly well-versed in statism. So they balked at this. You had, you had conservatives or Republicans even calling it socialism back then. If you go look at the, the clips of what Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan were calling these notions back then. That's right. Chummy Ronald Reagan, the amiable dunce, Mr. Likeability, was flat out waving bony fingers, man, and calling socialism out back in the day. The clips are right there. You can go watch them on YouTube. What changed? We'll discuss next. Listening to Steve Dace. For critical thinkers only, The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Worldview Wednesday here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Continue our series Why Conservatives Lost the Era. So we can learn the lessons necessary to win the future. So the left will usually begin. This is how they win in incrementalism. They will literally begin with an outlandish statement that is outside the mainstream of the time. Let's go back to the early 1960s. Everyone has a right to health care. Now, that greatest generation had just gotten home from fighting statism in Italy, fighting statism in Germany. And we're now immersed in a Cold War against the statism in the Soviet Union. They recognized everyone deserves the right to health care was a long way from FDR's Tennessee Valley Authority. Okay, we're a long way from that now. We're, this, we're, we're going far beyond safety nets now. You're talking programs that are going to make Social Security look like Sanka. Okay? So they said, yet. You even had the guys who represented our viewpoint back in the day. Goldwater, Mr. Nice Guy, Ronald Reagan, everybody loved, giving fire and brimstone speeches on camera all over the country, calling this socialism. But this was simply the left reestablishing the parameters of the Overton window, or what is considered acceptable by the political mainstream of the moment. The resetting the edge. You've heard in football that a defense has to do what's called setting the edge. Meaning they've got to set the line, they've got to set a boundary at the line of scrimmage so that the opposing offense can't just run around them. That's called setting the edge. Because they want to keep them in what we call in football parlance a telephone booth. They want to make them, they want, want to make them play in a box. What the left is doing here is setting the edge or resetting it. They're moving the hash marks out instead of bringing them in. So the left responds to these attacks with something like, well, you don't want our grandparents dying in the streets without health care, do you? I mean, doesn't, have a, doesn't a moral society have an obligation to care for its elderly and infirm? Voila. Now you have Medicare. After a while, this premise becomes so established that we fast forward a generation. We go to George W. Bush and Medicare Part D. 
Next, the argument is extended to, well, government should do for people what they can't do for themselves. And, and that's why the poor should have health care, too. Presto changeo. You now have Medicaid, which nowadays numerous Republican governors, including our own here in Iowa, have emulated with a state taxpayer funded health care exchange targeting the same clientele. Finally, the premise is now established that government is responsible for providing health care for its citizens, a premise that was rightly rejected as socialism just a generation ago. It is now accepted because you took it a little more, you took it a little more, and then a little more after that. And now we end up with Obamacare, complete with a so-called proposal for the public option. Remember that. Now, the public option allowed for government to sell insurance in direct competition with private carriers. Remember the debate over Obamacare, though, most of the focus was about not the premise of Obamacare and what it would do to the system, but it was about this public option. The left just takes it off the table then, knowing that passing all of the subsidies and regulations within Obamacare will still accomplish its goal. They remove the shiny object of the public option. And they still have the central goal of Obamacare intact, the destabilization of a system incapable of handling such a load of regulation and subsidies and regulations. Yes, I said regulations twice because it's a lot of regulations. This is the incremental stage we are at now. We have frequent reports of Obamacare's impending collapse, demise. We even have Democratic governors saying in Minnesota, this is not going to work. And and conservative media says, see, even your own side is to... No, 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 no. When Governor Dayton in Minnesota says Obamacare is not going to work, and he says so in an election year, it is not because he's so mind-numbingly dumb that he has to be honest and give the Republicans talking points for this election, guys. No, it's not. It's because the stage is being set to bring us back around to the original premise uttered a generation ago. Obamacare is doing exactly what it was intended to do. It is systematically destabilizing the system so that a single, see that as government, payer system, emerges as the only, quote, solution. Soon we are going to arrive at this final stage. Now, I believe our single-payer system will be different than the European models. Most of us will still have private health insurance through a private company. But I think that company is going to be as heavily regulated as public utilities are now. With each of the major insurers, each of the major insurers, I think, will be given proprietary rights regionally. And this will have the appearance of private insurance, but it will be the government alone setting all the rates, coverages, deductibles, etc., Heck, I wouldn't be shocked if we had a Republican president sign this into law as a, quote, public-private partnership to fix the system. You can put solid money on that, I think. Tell me yeah. about it. Bet your house on that one. I'm going to bet everyone's house on that. Thus, we are now at full circle. After all, the current GOP nominee for president says he's for single, said he was for single-payer health care on national television last fall with Scott Pelley on CBS. Now, of course, the reasons the right opposed the original concept, spiraling out of control costs, untenable growth of government, hurting the taxpayer, loss of individual freedom, all these have all come true. 
But those arguments are rarely made by our guys anymore. Instead, they now insist, insist hey, we're going to run the left's scam better and more efficiently than they do by targeting, quote, say with me now, waste, fraud, fraud and, and abuse. abuse. Yes, yes. The left has repeated the same pattern, gentlemen, on child killing, sexual morals, pretty much everything else. And this is how incrementalism works. Meanwhile, with another Clinton perhaps poised to take the White House, it is hard to see on any issue other than Second Amendment rights where we have made any progress at all since the last time we had a Clinton in the White House. Can you think of another one? No, and you've been making that uh, analysis for quite some time, and n- nothing has come to mind. Now, why why have we made progress on the Second Amendment front? Beca- because when you when you take the tension between NRA and GOA, they have actually, due to the tension between the two groups, created this sort of confrontational um, version of ad- advocacy and incrementalism that the left has done, and they're the only issue advocacy group that has managed to do it, and that's why they're the only ones that have made any progress. You're listening to Steve Dace. You'll have to pry this microphone from his cold, dead fingers. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up on a Worldview Wednesday. So, gentlemen, let me sum up this conversation tonight with this line, and then I'll let you guys provide your commentary from there. The reason that the left's style of pragmatism works is because the left wins elections to govern. The right governs to win elections. So the left is always playing offense with its incrementalism. And the right is always on defense. Todd, your thoughts? You're, of course, right. And you said earlier that uh, that's what makes the left uh, the Jedi masters of this. But if we take that even further, the what do the Jedi say? Why, why do their powers of mind control work? Who do they work on? The weak. We are so weak. And we are, we are being bullied by perhaps the weakest bullies. I mean, bullies for all, all of human history have thrived on a, uh, I mean, certainly it's it's emotional and psychological, but there's always been some sort of hovering physical presence by this. These, This is the, I mean, they, there's almost no element of that to, to, to this, you know. It is just n- names, and we've actually, we, we have become the, the group that is, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. We, we, we actually are the opposite, and I use Bree broadly to be the GOP Republicans or whatever that group is or was. Uh, we are being pushed around by the biggest bunch of sissy bullies ever created. Preach. And that makes us, by definition, the people that the Jedis are talking about. We are grotesquely weak. This is quite... Deflating. I mean, it's it's like um, the right, or what we thought was the right, is um, is playing. It's. I mean, we're playing defense all the time, except we're getting steamrolled and pancaked 
nuts. Like we didn't we we didn't see any of this coming. Seriously, I mean that's that's what it feels like, or that's what it seems like at this point. As you've laid all this out using healthcare as an example, we sh- we should have seen this coming, but but we didn't, or we didn't want to. I think we didn't want to see any of this because, well, you make up your own reasons, you find your own reasons. But I think it's obvious at this point that we are a nation that just wants it easy, that wants easy truths, that wants sweet nothings breathed uh, into their ear or spoken into their ear. And um, we've never been able to confront the hard truths about what the left has done and has been trying to do for this to this country for generations. Your lament, Aaron, is not unique to this era of this country. Your lament is the default setting of human civilizations for the better part of all of recorded human history. But it is unique in this country. We've not typically had that mindset, which is one of the reasons we weren't like all the other nations, but rather exceptional. Losing that mindset is why we're losing our exceptionalism and becoming just like everybody else. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 